Welcome, everyone, to the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Here on the show, we bring you interviews with business owners, executives, and key players operating in and around the Ottawa, Ontario, Canada region. We grab their insights on business, marketing, leadership, and motivation. We hope you'll tune in. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Ottawa Business Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Pagioni. Joining me today on the show, CEO and founder, Dr. Leslie Klein of Seacom Satellite Systems. They've been in business for the past 23 years in the high-tech space here in Ottawa. Yes, you heard that right, 23 years. We're going to dive deep today on satellites, high-tech industry here in Ottawa, and those guiding values and principles that have made him successful that you can use in your business to make it thrive in 2021. You're going to want to tune into this. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Ottawa Business Podcast. Uh, Very, very pleased today to have a very special guest on the show. Uh, It's not very often that we're blessed to have someone here on the show for the audience uh, that has the experience, the knowledge, uh, the business acumen, and certainly the business success as someone, uh, as our guest today does. Uh, this is definitely a podcast for those that are in business, that are entrepreneurs, uh, those even high-performing individuals that are looking to take uh, their lives to the next level. Uh, there's going to be a lot of value that you're going to get out of this interview today. Uh, I'm very, very proud to welcome to the Ottawa Business Podcast, Dr. Leslie Klein. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, Just for those of you that don't know, we're going to obviously get into uh, the details behind Leslie's uh, success, but he uh, currently is the founder and CEO of Seacom Satellite here uh, here in Ottawa. Uh, But I want to start a little bit further back, if you don't mind, Leslie, and maybe bring the audience um, sort of full circle here on on sort of your roots. Where do your roots start, uh, Leslie? So uh, I was born in Czechoslovakia, former Czechoslovakia, which is presently called the Slovak Republic. And I came to Canada when I was 20 years old, uh, not speaking a word of English, not knowing anybody. But there was an opportunity that the Russians have given me when they invaded uh, Czechoslovakia uh, in 1968 to get the hell out of there. And that uh, was the best, things, uh, best, best thing I've ever done. And uh, coming to Canada was the second best thing uh, because this is a fantastic country to, for, for a new immigrant who wants to make a, a mark and wants to work hard like, like I did. I uh, went to the University of Waterloo. I graduated with an, an electrical engineering degree. And then I went on to get my uh, postgraduate uh, uh, work at, uh, in California, got an MBA and a PhD, uh, and uh, ended up working for some notable corporations such as Hewlett Packard, uh, Control Data, um, IBM, Digital Equipment Corporation, actually in Carlton Place. I was one of the uh, uh, few uh, co-op students from Waterloo working in Carlton Place at the Digital Equipment Corporation plant there. Those who probably are wow. as old as I am would remember that there was a, a facility there and that was one of the first mini computer uh, operations in Canada. And then I ended up uh, working for Bell Northern Research um, uh, from where I started my own first company called Eurodata that was involved in the HP uh, um, uh, resale of HP used equipment. We were probably one of the first companies in the world started selling used computers, mini computers which was a novelty because uh, there was no, no such market. So I actually created that market uh, in the early 80s. Uh, and, uh, and from there, we, we started doing third-party maintenance. And then uh, in 1997, uh, um, I started Seacom with two other guys. One of them, uh, Bilal Awada, is still here. He's my chief technology officer. And uh, we built uh, this company from scratch to what it is today. 
just just going back a little bit that's that is it's it's an incredible journey uh let's let's i just want to go back for one second you're 20 years old what put canada on the map for for you well i had an opportunity to go to the u.s or to canada because i was a, a what you call a um, in those those days, uh, anybody escaping from a communist country was welcomed uh, with a num- to, to a number of countries. Canada was attractive to me uh, for uh, number one uh, reason was that if I would have ended up in the U.S., I would have had to go to Vietnam and fight in a war there. So okay. I was just I was just getting out of one uh, country that uh, I had to go to the army, and I didn't uh, want to be there, and I certainly didn't want to go to Vietnam either. So Canada looked like a a very, very good option, uh, being a neutral country in, in, in 1968. And, uh, and uh, it was, it was, a, it was a, a great choice for me to come here. And I also had some remote, uh, some, lo- you know, some, some distant relatives in Toronto. And that's where I, that's why I ended up there. They, they helped me to, you know, to settle, settle in. And uh, uh, actually, uh, my younger brother was here before me, who was 16. And uh, because we separate, we were separated uh, in Europe, and so he ended up in Canada before me. So this is how I actually ended up here because he was already here, and uh, the Red Cross has found me. I was in France uh, at the time, and uh, they found me and they asked me to uh, come to Canada because I ne- they needed a guardian. He needed a guardian. So, wow. so I so we ended up here. You know, he was going to high school in Toronto, and I was going to. The University of Waterloo, and uh, it was it was great. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Wow, wow! And, but and so, when you're coming here, did you have English in as a, as? A, no, I didn't speak a word of English. You didn't speak any English. No, I, no, no English. But within four months, I was at the university. Uh, interesting story. Four was months, that, but for, yeah, within four months, yeah. I, well, did I you, learn, you learned English in four months, or I, I learned enough to uh, enough. to go to the university and ask them to put me into second year engineering because I already finished uh, first year in uh, in uh, in Czechoslovakia, and wow. uh, they they told me, look, your English is so bad that we suggest that you go back to to first year, and I said, no, I don't want to do first year again. And fortunately, if I would have done, let's say, English literature, I would have failed miserably because, <laughs> because my English was, was that, that bad. But, you know, math, physics, chemistry, you know, it's a universal language, right? So, so the, I had no problem following, you know, the formulas and all of that. And, uh, you know, I, it was interesting because there was about 120 uh, second year students uh, at Waterloo and only 40 of us graduated. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's it. Wow. Yeah, that's it. And I was one of them. So, wow, but I can you. tell you that uh, I lived in Waterloo for four plus years. I've never been to a movie. I've never been to a restaurant there. I, I, yeah. I just knew the route to the school and back, you know, to my, to my uh, place. It was, yeah. it was working, 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 but it's probably one of the best universities for this type of education. And, and, and it's, you know, and that's one of the reasons why all my three children went there also. You know, I know, I know we're going to get into some of the things that have made you successful, but hearing how that work ethic was instilled in you in university, would you say that that was, that was a pretty important point? In well, of course it was, you know, for me, it was uh, do or die. You know, I, I didn't yeah. have parents to go home to uh, yeah. who would, who would say that uh, you can come home and don't worry about it. We'll find you a job or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I only had enough money from from uh, term to term because we we worked uh, uh, on terms so I, I i studied for four months and then i worked for four months i made enough money every four months to be able to pay the tuition and the Gee, that's incredible and, and, and the university uh, and so that was just a fantastic formula for me i don't think i could have done it any any other university uh, other than waterloo so it worked out perfectly and uh, you know i worked some work for some very you know fantastic companies like ibm and digital Learned a lot, and uh, okay. you know, and ended up you know working for them at the at the end. Geez, that's incredible. What and growing up in in Czechoslovakia, did did you have you know outside interests? Like, was that allowed, or like, could you do stuff? Or not much. I mean, you know, it no. was a you know living there was was uh, I, I did I took judo for example as a as a you know as a, when I went to uh, high school uh, okay. I took judo for a number of years. And uh, but you know you could not travel anywhere you couldn't go anywhere my parents didn't have the means to 
to do anything. And, uh, you know, the other thing I want to mention that both of my parents are Holocaust survivors, over Holocaust survivors. So they had an extremely difficult wow. uh, time in their lives. They, they went through the concentration camps. And then, then when the Russians or the communists uh, took over Czechoslovakia, they lost all their properties, all their land. Oh but, gosh. you know, I, I didn't see any of that because by the time I was, you know, 10 or 12 years old going to school, I, you know, things kind of normalized, but it was still living in a very, yeah. closed uh, society, you know, very, very difficult uh, to get jobs and, and difficult if you were not part of the Communist Party, uh, you know, team, then it was difficult for you to attend certain universities and all of that. So I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Okay. Okay. And just, just before we, we sort of move forward here, did, did your parent, your, obviously your parents stayed, stayed behind. What was that like? Well, they, they, they actually, you know, my parents, uh, uh, ultimately ended up in Canada. We brought them out. But, okay. Uh, but, but, but they, they, they had a tough time while we were out of the country yeah. and they were, and they were behind. I mean, they were visited regularly by, you know, the secret police and they were forced to, you know, to, they, they just claimed that they didn't know what, what my brother and I did because, because we just escaped. And you okay. know, this was, there was a turmoil in 1968 where, where people was, the people were running out of the country and so there was, you know, there was a, there, there was, but they, they tried to convince them to talk to us and to come back. And actually I was visited a couple of times by somebody from the Montreal uh, consulate, the Czech, Czechoslovak Republic consulate. And they, they, kind of, they came to see me. They found me. I don't know how they found me, but they came to see me and they tried to convince me to go back because that, okay. would have been a, that would have been a coup for them to bring somebody back. But I told them I'm not interested. I'm, I'm never going back. So the, the way we used to meet our parents is that we would go to Hungary and then we would meet them there. They would come to Hungary and we would, we would visit in Hungary and see them, you know, once in a while. And then ultimately they were allowed, they were both uh, retired and they were allowed to, to leave the country and they came here and they passed away here in Canada. And they, you know, they, so we finally reunited and we spent some, some years with them. Yeah, that must have been, that, when you guys first reunited, that must have been quite the party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course it was. It was. It was nice to see everybody. And uh, I mean, that's all. We had no relatives because everybody died in, in, in the war. Yeah. And so the only people that my parents had was my brother and I. And, uh, you know, we only yeah. had uh, our parents. So it was, uh, it was nice to have them finally back with us. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's incredible. Let's just let's just for sort of move to the high tech scene. Uh, you know, in in Ottawa, you you mentioned uh, Eurodata. When did when did you start that? In 1980. Okay. So Eurodata, I, I left Bell Northern Research and uh, I, I started Eurodata in 1980, basically on the fact that I remember I was running a group of uh, people in, in at uh, at Bell Northern Research and we were developing some some software there for uh, the computer-aided design software for the uh, large uh, switches that Nortel was manufacturing. And uh, we needed some, we needed some uh, disk drives and, 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 and a processor uh, to add about 10 new people to the, to the, uh, to, on, on the network. Uh, and uh, and uh, they told me that it would take six to nine months to get the hardware. So I said to myself, there must be a better way. And I left and I started uh, uh, because I knew a lot about HP equipment. So I focused on HP equipment and I started a company that bought and sold used HP machines. And uh, that, that was a phenomenal idea. Of course, it took a while to convince HP that I wasn't really trying to kill their business. I was trying to yeah. enhance their business because there was a lot of customers who wanted equipment, but just like used cars, right? I mean, you can go into the lot and buy a used car. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a new car, sometimes you have to wait uh, months uh, if you want a specific model. And so it was the same. It was much worse in those days. Nobody had inventory, right? So if you wanted to buy a, a $500,000 uh, mini computer system, you had sometimes had to wait six to eight months before it was wow. made. Wow. And so there was a huge opportunity to be able to say, I have one in a warehouse. I'll ship it to you. Wow. So that's how Eurodata started. It was a very successful company. It ran for about 35, 35 years. Before okay. I sold it. Okay. Okay. And so did you run that with at the same time and then start Seacom midway? Yes. It, yeah. Seacom came in. Uh, I sold the company um, sometimes in 2000. Uh, 12 or 13. So the, the, um, the, the, uh, 
uh, Seacom was started in parallel with that company still existing. But gotcha. I, I started Seacom because, again, I had an idea that one day uh, internet will be available in vehicles the same way as radio. You, is you know what? Like that is that is so visionary. I've been reading so many re interviews that people have done with you where you've talked about that. What, like, what did you see? Back well, I, 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 saw, I saw that there had to be a, a solution to bring uh, connectivity into a car the same way as the radio was brought into the car. You know, but this is 97, it, Leslie. Like, no yeah, this is 97. Like, no so one people, had email. No, no, of course. Well, we, had, <laughs> we had some email. I mean, it sometimes worked, sometimes didn't work. And, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> that's right, the, uh, the acoustic coupler time. Yeah, and, and so uh, I actually have a picture of somebody in BNR. It's a fantastic picture using a, 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 a 1910 or 1912, uh, 1915 maybe a phone as an acoustic coupler. And wow. so connected to a, a terminal, you know, the guy is typing and uh, right there is an acoustic coupler. You know, the one where one hand, one hand holds the, uh, the microphone and the other one is put yeah. in the ear, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, we, we had lots of fun at BNR showing that picture because it showed that there was there was really old technology being coupled to the to the latest technology. But this was in the late seventies, right, early eighties yeah. uh, stuff. So, so it was visionary and it was insane in many ways that 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 I would have thought about that. And I didn't know very much about satellite communications, but I found two guys okay. who who knew. Uh, one of them was Bilal who just graduated from uh, uh, University of Ottawa with a communications degree, master's degree in communication. And uh, we started building this, this product to bring, you know, high-speed internet or whatever internet that was available over satellite yeah. into cars. And we went to Telesat, who was the local uh, satellite provider. But everything was horrendously expensive. And... Uh, and while we were developing this technology, you know, sometimes luck has a lot to do with, with what you are doing. The technology um, uh, caught up with what we were doing. So in other words, the, 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 pro the process that we were developing uh, would have never succeeded should the uh, satellite connectivity and the hardware costs not dropped. I and see. So, so, so what was happening is as we were developing this technology, we, we raised, I, I pumped in most of the money to start with, and I found some shareholders who put in more money, and that money allowed us to develop a product to the point where we went public and raised about $5 million to continue the development, and this was in 2001. Okay. And, and, uh, and uh, from then on, you know, we, we, we met up with Hughes uh, in the United States, Hughes Network Systems, who started the first... Uh, a timeshare service over satellite uh, with very low cost, uh, a band, low, low, low bandwidth, but the low cost hardware also that opened up the satellite market. And we used that technology to put into vehicles and start selling, you know, uh, uh, satellite mobility uh, over satellite. So, yeah. so the vehicles were, the vehicles were not uh, moving, they were stationary. And to this day, we have the same type of technology where you have to stop, push a button, and uh, you, know, the, you find the satellite automatically, and then you have internet inside the car. But there was such a huge uh, a leap you know, at that time because there was a lot of locations around the world where you could not get any connectivity at all, and satellite was the only way to go. I see. Still, it's still the case today. Still the case yeah. today. What, what did the early investors or individuals say to you when, when you've got this idea? Because that well, was they, that yeah was they yeah they they didn't first of all they didn't know anything about satellites you know satellites in in the in in the early eighties uh, sorry the nineteen ninety seven uh, you know it was it was uh, it was very few of them I mean Telesat was one satellite operator Hughes they they were really very specific uh, applications but there were there was there was interest because there was uh, first responders there was the military there was disaster management and 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 there was opportunities in governments and all of that so most of the investors were naive just like i was naive you know we didn't know uh, interestingly enough when when you look at my business plan that we did for raising uh, 5 million dollars it assumed <laughs> that all of the customers will be um, uh, people who have uh, Winnebago's and uh, 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 you know these um, uh, like campers, campers, 
Yeah. And of course, those guys were moving around. They needed connectivity. Yeah. But we did, but we, and, and, you know, we used the numbers. There were tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of campers and, 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 uh, and uh, these, uh, these, uh, you know, large expensive uh, buses with, uh, with uh, people who, uh, who, who moved from place to place. But we didn't realize that those people didn't want to spend any money at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that, was, that was the business plan. It looked great, but it uh, made no sense. <laughs> At the end of the day, we realized that those guys will never buy anything. And so we said, well, okay, we'll switch gears and we'll go after the, the, the police forces, the fire departments and the militaries and uh, around the world. So what we did is we set up a distribution network that today has about 500 or close to 600 maybe resellers around the world who are buying product from us. And we are only 30 some people in Ottawa and that's the only location we have. And we sell through these resellers. So we okay. don't manufacture anything. We don't uh, have sales offices anywhere. But we have uh, a product in 106 countries. And we have, you know, a large, very large number of distributors who regularly buy from us. Wow. And going back to, we'll just be, just want to finish off. Sure. Sort of the high tech scene. Yes. Because if I'm not mistaken here from a previous conversation with you, Leslie, did you, were you not an early investor in some of the high tech companies around here? Cause I, 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 I did not. I, yeah, I did not. In, I, actually, I, I helped uh, Joe Strauss at one point uh, the, because he's a really, uh, yeah, a person who comes exactly from the same background as I have. And uh, we, I've known his parents and his sister very well. And, and so I, I did lend money to Joe to, uh, wow. to, start, to start his business because I was leaving Bell Norden when he was coming into Bell Norden at the time. And so as, as, uh, I, was already, I already had my own uh, uh, company and uh, Eurodata. And so Joe needed equipment and I helped him out there and also lent him some money in the early stages. But I never invested uh, you know, in, in any of the local companies. Uh, I actually, okay. I actually um, you know, uh, should have, but I, I never did. My wife did, so she did well. She was a, a Mitel investor. She did very well in Mitel. <laughs> And what what was it like when the high tech bubble burst? What take it's, it, it didn't it didn't affect it didn't affect me at all. Because, okay, because I was not you know I was I had no debt I had no um, uh, employees on a large scale you know the company was always Eurodata was always profitable yeah and uh, I just saw Nortel for example go down uh, obviously we we had we maintained a lot of their Hewlett Packard equipment uh, and uh, so that 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 kind of went uh, sideways also but but you know we the company that all the companies that I've always ran were always profitable and they were always cash ca- cash flush so okay. that any of these type of events that happened like uh, the Nortel fiasco uh, when everything collapsed you know wiped out a lot of companies who were dependent on them because they you know they 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 needed the income from these these corporations we always had money we always had, we were profitable and uh, we, so this is how we survived. And even today, Seacom is the same thing. Seacom has over $22 million of working capital and has no debt and pays dividends. That's excellent. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in, uh, in a second. Right. So the original owners are, are you and, and Bilal. You guys, you guys strike it up. You're starting Seacom Satellite. Where were you physically located? Always in this building at 2574 because, because I own the building. Okay, excellent. And how many how many staff did you guys start with there? We started with three people. Wow, <laughs> my myself and and I was not paid for about four years, so I did wow. not take a, did not take a salary. And uh, Bilal and the other guy who is no longer here uh, were the ones who were doing the work, and they were getting paid. But I I, I didn't get paid until we went public, and uh, I also I took shares in return of in return of not getting paid. So I am the largest Seacom shareholder. Okay. Okay. What were some of the early struggles that, that you guys had to overcome? I think this is really important for a lot of people today that are thinking of starting a business. Well, the thing is that it's good to be stupid, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and ignoring, ignoring reality sometimes is, helps. Uh, is it stupid or stubborn? Well, I don't know what you would call it because you, you know people would say to you know people would say to us, why would anybody need internet in a car, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we would say, well, you know what, 
people will need connectivity and what at one point why do they need a radio in a car right they yeah. it's the same same thing and of course the if if i would have known what i know today i would have never started the business because because it was really ignorance you know in many uh, many respects of it it was a gut feel that one reacted to that yeah. it will help it will work and if it doesn't work it doesn't work you know i mean it's not something that uh, you never know how things turn out and 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 in business going from point a to b is not always a straight line you know right. you may have to deviate to the to the left or to the right and then come back and then continue and then deviate and continue so what we did to survive we developed some other products that were you know that were related to communications in the in the meantime while we were developing this uh, this uh, internet connectivity over satellite and so that that kept us going we developed a, a video server for a for a client who came to us uh, who wanted to store large numbers of uh, of videos on on a server and uh, and you know he paid us a couple hundred thousand dollars and and again since i was not paying not charging rent i was not paying myself a salary and I wanted to make sure that the guys who worked were, you know, adequately compensated. It allowed us to continue until such time where we got money going public, and it allows us allowed us to continue development of the product. And the technology came, you know, the cost of the technology, the number of satellites that were going up, uh, and the cost of the airtime for the satellite uh, uh, improved. And also, we actually had at one point about 2,000 subscribers Holy selling, selling uh, you know, internet connectivity to people in rural and remote areas. So we were okay. in that business along with Hughes, we were selling Hughes network systems airtime to survive. So we tried a couple of things and, and then we just killed that business because the margins were very low and it was very um, you know, manpower intensive. We needed to have two shifts running here. We had at one point maybe 40 or 50 people. It was just not, not feasible. So, so you know, you, you kind of move from, you know, place A to place B, but you, you go to the side, you come back. You, it's never a straight line, but you can always survive if you have an idea of where you want to end up and what it takes to get there. So this is how, you know, this is, this is how we ended up where we are today. Yeah, so sort of keeping that vision in front of you at all times. All the time. And so, you know, we will discuss probably down the, you know, the, the, the later stage. Uh, we are also developing now for the last four years a very, very unique technology that doesn't exist today. Again, okay. we invested millions of dollars into it. Again, it's a vision that hopefully will happen, and I believe it will happen. But, you know, it's, again, it's a roll of a dice. Yeah, yeah. What? What? what let's let's dive right into that. Tell us. Tell us more about that. Well, as you know, uh, today antennas are parabolic antennas, and uh, the satellites. Most of the satellites are geostationary satellites, which means that they are in one location and they rotate with the position of the Earth. So, okay. an antenna, an antenna can uh, sit on a roof of a building, or even while we use it on a car. We push a button and the satellite is always in one position vis-a-vis -vis where you are. So it's a very, very relatively simple way of locating a satellite. Now, most of the new constellation satellites are what they call a low Earth orbit or medium Earth orbit, which means that they're constantly moving. They would be moving depending on how high they are from, from the Earth. They could be moving every, every hour, every half an hour, every three hours, etc., and uh, there will be many of them. There will be thousands of them up there. Uh, SpaceX is putting up, SpaceX has already deployed 700 of these satellites, and they will have probably two or 3,000 of them. So Telesat will have a couple hundred, uh, and uh, Amazon is putting up 4,000. So these satellites are going to cover the whole Earth, and uh, they will be orbiting all the time. So these parabolic antennas can no longer function properly to, to, to track these antennas. So you need a, an electronically steered antenna that will electronically pick and choose the satellites that are flying over and connect to them very, very fast. So it picks up one, drops off, picks up the second one, drops off, etc. And so in order to do okay. that, you need, you need a completely different technology than the, the cheap parabolic antennas uh, are today. And this is what we have developed with the University of Waterloo over the last four years. It's called the electronically steered phased array antenna. And uh, all the signals are steered electronically. So the antenna can be stationary. Yeah. It can be 
moving and the satellite can be moving and you can still track it and, and connect to it and deliver okay. a lot of bandwidth. So we are developing this. The government of Canada was kind enough to fund a, a large chunk of this development. We also just received the funding from the Canadian Space Agency to continue this work and also from the European Consortium uh, that consists of a number of Canadian universities and a number of European companies and one Canadian company called Sky, Sky, um, Sky let me just see what the name of it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly large uh, company, Skyworks, I think, or Sky, um, Sky, uh, I always forget their name because there's so many Skies <laughs> dealing with uh, Sky, Sky. Have you, Sky. Have you met, uh, you mentioned SpaceX, have you met Elon Musk? Or? No, I have not met Elon, no. Uh, it's uh, Skyworks is the company, actually. Skyworks, okay. Yeah, yeah but we, we are hoping that we will be able to work over his, on his satellites because the technology that we are developing is the Ka band frequency, which is he's using, and of course there is there is many others. We are working with Telesat also. We have tested some of our uh, tracking mechanisms uh, on the Telesat Leo uh, satellites that they have, and uh, you know this technology could completely change the the Seacom company as a company itself because it's revolutionary, right? So it's okay. similar to you know it's similar to what happens uh, what happened when. The home computers were, uh, you know, came in and replaced a, a whole bunch of mainframes and, and other yeah. type of uh, technology. So uh, we are working with this European company and, and Skyworks to develop a chipset <clears throat> using our phased array technology that would go into the phones and would also make it possible to receive uh, high-speed broadband like 5G and 6G on your cell phone or from a satellite. Okay, so perfect. That, I was I was just going to ask that because I never get good reception, and there's still certain areas that I drive through where I've got dead zones. So you're saying down the road we could have the satellite built into the phone, so I've got total connectivity wherever I go. Exactly. Well, hallelujah! That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it will take a while, but uh, this chipset that we are developing with Skyworks, who, who is a, a chip uh, manufacturer and a company yeah. called NX uh, um, NXC, I think in in Europe, there is also a chip manufacturer in Europe. The idea is to take all this knowledge, all this technology, and have this this uh, ability to not necessarily receiving it from a satellite, but there is also another technology called HAPS which is a high altitude uh, a platform system, which consists of drones that are at about 200 kilometer um, uh, above the earth. Yeah. And they circle in the 200 to 300 kilometer radius. And these drones become cell towers in the sky. Holy and cow. Each drone would replace about 400 cell towers. And, and is the drone moving or is it just... Yeah, the drone is flying all the time. It's flying at 20 kilometer height. And uh, so that would eliminate a ton of uh, cell towers. And it would also cover, you know, uh, a very large uh, swath of the earth. Right. Uh, and and uh, you would have two drones uh, uh, constantly, you know, flying. One is a spare and, yeah. uh, and a third one to, you know, to, as a backup. And uh, those drones obviously are, are able to cover very large uh, segments of the of the earth because they, they do about 200 or 300 kilometer radius. And, and also you would have the ability of covering, be covered by the drone uh, with this technology or by a cell tower. So whichever is closest, you would be, you know, totally seamlessly handed over to the yeah. drone or to the cell tower. Wow. Well, so we, the day so we, can come we, soon we, enough we, with all these dead zones yeah, I yeah, get through. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So this would be this would be an idea to obviously you, you know putting in cell towers is very expensive. It's yes, about a million dollars a tower, and and they do the math, and if there is not enough people there, they're not going to bother. But yeah. with, a, with, a, with a drone, you know, that replaces up to four hundred or could replace up to four hundred cell towers, you Holy could cow. you could very very easily cover a very very large area. Yeah. Uh, you know, with one drone and and uh, so the cell companies who that are developing this technology are very interested in this because they could get many more subscribers at a much lower cost than than what it is today and the bandwidth that you would be able to get from a drone is 10 to 100 times more than what wow. you're getting for your regular phone wow that's incredible 
That's incredible. Okay, Leslie, what's what's on the horizon? Uh, actually, maybe just before we get to the horizon, anything change with with CECOM in in the pandemic here? Or? No, well, actually, you know what? Just like everybody else, we're gonna we're gonna take a haircut uh, this year. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's certainly not going to. Uh, uh, it, it didn't benefit us. You know, at one point we had about a million dollars worth of sold equipment sitting on a floor here in April, but we couldn't get anybody to fly it out. And the airlines were not flying to any of these places. So okay. we certainly, we certainly had a. Uh, we will have a, you know a relatively weak year compared to the years before. But um, I don't know if you've seen the latest uh, uh, release, but we received a $3.4 million contract already from a very large you know, Japanese telephone company uh, to deliver another 100 of our antennas uh, to them. Uh, uh, they already have about 500 of these antennas and they use them for disaster management and all of that revenue will fall into the first quarter of next year. And so we will start the year with a bang, but um, I think two, 2020 is going to be a, a poor, poor year. But yeah. even, you know, e- even if we have losses uh, this fiscal year, they will be probably minimal compared to some others who have you know, massive losses. And as I mentioned before, you know, we have uh, cash, we have no debt. So this is just like a noise, you know, it's yeah. a go. Yeah, it's almost like just a speed bump on the way here. What that, that, that's right. for 2021, Leslie, for, for CECOM? Well, well, you know, based on, uh, you know, that first quarter that uh, should be a massive first quarter, normally our first quarters are very weak uh, because we start the year with, uh, you know, with January, with December. So there's holidays, uh, half, um, half a month is gone um, or more than probably a whole month is, is, is gone. But this time we have already, a, you know, a large order that will, will probably distort the first quarter dramatically. And then we have some lot of orders that are not going to make it into the fourth quarter of our fiscal year, and they will end up again in the first quarter or in the second quarter. So we hope that it will it will turn around to the to you know to to um, uh, a positive, a very positive uh, 2021. And of course, we are going to be announcing hopefully some tests of our phased array antenna in 2021. And uh, that, you know, that will, uh, I think, uh, change the entire uh, view of SECOM because we'll have a technology that is, is, is going to replace a lot of the existing mechanical antennas that are, that are in the field. And uh, our many resellers are uh, desperately waiting for this technology to kick in because the satellites are going up and they will be providing this enormous amount of bandwidth. And uh, uh, this new technology should be able to take advantage of that. Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds, uh, it sounds exciting. We're definitely going to have to keep in touch and keep the audience. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Up to date. I, I just want to shift gears uh, for a second and just focus on, on the business aspect. If we can for a moment, Leslie, you know, I'm always, I'm always intrigued by individuals like you. Um, you know, I will say I have met you in person a number of times. Um, you know, I know the audience, it's unfortunate we're just on audio. Like, this guy's, like, just a machine. He's an old-school style, um, which I really appreciate. Uh, but definitely, I think, you know, and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth uh, here, Leslie. I think your background, and I find this a lot in people that come to this country with nothing, and just work their asses off to get somewhere because that's all that's the only thing they can do is just work and work hard exactly and i find that's a, a lot of times that's lacking today what what would you agree with that or like what's what's your view after i you know i i always i i, I say that i can see even in my children you know the the, the the there is a drive but it's not the same as what i had and probably you know, maybe in a lot of families is the other way around where the parents don't seem to have a drive and the, the kids do. But, but I've noticed that, that you know, the, the immigrants that, that I know, uh, they, they pretty much, a lot of them have been very successful. And I think it's the fact that when you start with nothing, you don't have anything to lose and everything to gain. And yeah. uh, I think that a lot of of uh, our generation, including my children, they have a lot. They, there's no reason for them to, you know, to, to crawl and, 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 and 
and really scratch out their living because they have what they have and they're happy with what they have. Yeah. I, I ne I've never been happy with what I had, not in terms of money, but with, in terms of accomplishments. I always felt that I could do even more. I can do more. I can do it better. And uh, I think that the, the generation that's coming after me is quite content with what they have. And they prefer, for example, spending more time with their families and, uh, you know, working less, but they yeah. still want to make the same amount of money. So something doesn't, you know, doesn't add up. You can't, you can't suck and blow at the same time, right? Yeah. So, and, and you have to sometimes sacrifice one for the other because there is, in my opinion, there's no such thing as, an, as a balance in this kind of an environment. It's either you, you make it and you spend a lot of time trying to get there or you just coast and uh, basically the results of it are there because you coast. Right. So, so those, those like, again, just to clarify, so those that are coasting, they might get there, but they're, they're not getting at the same level that you're getting at when you're all in. That, that's right. And they will yeah. never, they may never get there. They may, right. you know, they, they, they may get somewhere, but not there. Right. Right. What, so if someone's starting a business today, Leslie, what advice would you give them? Well, I would say to them that they, they would have to make sure that they are, that, that, that they have the resources to you know to to start a business and if they don't have it then they have somebody who can back them up uh, with resources and also to understand that 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 the failure is 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 part of part of the the the, the process you can't assume that you're going to go into it and you're going to make it and then you're going to come out of it without any you know marks on your body or or loss of hair or whatever yeah. there is there, there is a, there's always a trade off in life and uh, and, uh, you know, people, people uh, going into this type of a, an opportunity have to really weigh what they do. They want to work hard. Do they want to be able to get somewhere and put everything on a table and, and make it? Or they want to be able to, to live the way they live, uh, like they work for somebody else and they you have a guaranteed income and, and still trying to get to some place. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. You have to, in my opinion, again, the way I looked at it is that I, I put everything into it, and if it failed, it failed, but not because of lack of effort. It failed okay. for many other reasons, right? Yeah. And, and failure is not a bad thing. You learn from failure. The, yeah. the better thing is to learn from other people's failure, of course, not from your own. But, uh, but you know, one thing that I learned, uh, which was very early on, is that if you are poorly capitalized and you, and you uh, rely on a bank to give you the money, in the last second, you may lose everything because the bank may pull everything back. So yeah. I learned from that exercise that I will never rely on a bank uh, and I will always have to have reserves. And yeah. if the bank is not going to work with me, there has to be other options, B and C, where you can continue so that in the last minute, when you are almost there, somebody doesn't pull the rug off from under you. Right, right. So when you say they, you're someone that's starting a business today should have the resources. Are you are you talking about obviously financial resources? What any other resources or? Well, you know, there there are financial resources are one thing, but the other thing is that I was very lucky that my wife also came from uh, you know family of business people, and she understood that I had to focus to be successful. I had to focus on what I was doing. I could not babysit. I could not that's do really certain good. things that, you know, that is expected today or cook or, or do all those things. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, and, and, and it was understood. And I, you know, and, and I was left alone and that's a very big plus because if you don't have a partner, for example, who understands what you are trying to accomplish, yeah. and, you know, you will also fail. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, so true to be on this and obviously be on the same page for a lot of things with uh, with your your partners. Exactly, exactly. Not only, but you know, one of the main thing was focus. I mean, I, I travel a lot. I you know, I go around the world uh, two or three times every year. Uh, you know, visit. Uh, we have one hundred and six countries to visit. Try yeah. to do it at least uh, every second or third year to to see most of them. And yeah. uh, and so you have to have that freedom to be able to to just get up and go and and not to be nagged and feel guilty that you are in some other place and and your wife is holding down the fort and you should be coming home or whatever so yeah. those those are, those are important things in addition to have being well financed and and being focused very very focused and the and the most important i think also is to surround yourself with good people people who are smarter than you are 
people who can, you know, who can help you, people who can do the work while you are away, etc. So that is also very important to have the right crew uh, working with you. And if you look at Sika, most of the guys have been here for 15, 20 years. We yeah. just had one guy, one guy who retired. He was, he's been with us since 1997. So, wow. You know, it's, wow, it's very, rare, very rare. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely says something. You know, I think, I think just, just touching on having those people around you, are you saying to have those people around you to fill in where you're, where maybe you're not, not great or weak or not some, an area of the business you don't really want to work with or. No, just, just in general, people who are, who are smarter than you are, or at least as smart as you are, who can actually give you opinions and ideas. Okay. And, and, and they are very efficient at what they do. You know, that's very, very important. Not, not because they, they have to be here because I'm not here when I'm not here, but they, you know, they, they have to know their work and they have to be able to produce the quality of the work. I mean, the reason such a small company as we are is in 106 countries in, in, in around the world is because the technology that we develop is second to none. And these guys are smart who are doing it and they've been right. doing it for 20 some odd years. And so this, this is what I mean. You have to find the right people and okay. you have to motivate them. And the ones who are here, you know, have been here for a very long time. Those who come in and uh, they, you know, they, they may not last for a year or two because they, they may not be able to keep up with the pace or, or they are not smart enough to do the work. I mean, it's, yeah. so, so the ones who are here are definitely the ones who have been here for a long time. And that, that says a lot. I mean, they're good people. They are qualified people and they, they know how to do their job. So, so finding, you know, once you found those obviously good people, like you have in your case, you obviously, you know, keep them and of course, it's so important yeah, then to yeah, weed yeah, out yeah. the ones and, and cut the ones that, you know, aren't going to make it. Exactly. And, you know, we pay them, uh, we pay them well, we give them stock options. Yeah, you know, we have a very good environment here. You know, we, we work well together and most people are, are given freedom to, to think and to come up with ideas and uh, we encourage the ideas and then and, and also we have a very good team of people who provide absolutely excellent technical support to our customers around the world and that's another way how you keep your customers because uh, it's very important to to help them when they have problems and most of our yeah. systems are in environments where they cannot be down for for uh, for more than uh, you know a couple of hours so and even so we have for example now we're working on a project in uh, in Australia, and uh, so some of our some of our guys are here till one or two in the morning because of the time difference. I see, I see. If you so if you it, look if you had to take three things and, and narrow it down, I know it's tough. Just the three things that have had the biggest impact on your success. What would you say those three are? Uh, well, one of them is coming to this country. <laughs> <obviously>. <laughs> that one doesn't count, Leslie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The second one I would say would be uh, the, you know, graduating from the University of Waterloo. I think yeah. uh, a school like that opens up a tremendous number of opportunities for people. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, working hard and, you know, being committed and believing in what you do is very, very important. And, you know, for, for me, uh, I mean, you know, it's, 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 I, I work 24 by 7, 7 days a week. To me, it's not work. To me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an enjoyable um, you know, uh, accomplishment because if somebody on Sunday sends me an email from the Middle East and looking for a solution, I'm not going to say I will get back to you on Monday. I'll respond. Yeah. So, so that that to me is very important, and I think you'll find that that's almost dead. It yes. Doesn't exist, right? Yes, totally. Totally. And 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 these people who are on the other end of the spectrum who are looking for a solution are blown away when a CEO you know, yeah. responds to somebody who has a technical problem and, and tries to help him on the, you know, uh, even on a Sunday or a Saturday or at yeah. 11 o'clock at night. You know, it's, 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 it's the type of things that very few people will do. And yeah. those who do, they stick out like a, a sore thumb. Well, I'll de well, look, I'll give you kudos on that. Uh, I texted you, I emailed you last night uh, to confirm a time for this uh, interview. And I got the response back at 9.45 last night, like I was mm -hmm. away. That that's the way you know, and and you'll find that there's a lot of people at Seacom who do that. A lot of people, even you know, people in the technical support, people in you know, in 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 management, uh, shipping, all of that. You know, they it was instilled in them that this is 
customers are very important. And, you know, yeah. even this conversation with you is very important because it helps the company at the end of the day. And if it doesn't, it's not a, not a big thing. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not a big time. It's not a big effort. It's an hour or whatever yeah. it is. It's no big deal. And it, it, it does, I believe, that shows the character of the individual. It shows the company uh, that this individual is operating in. And it, it, it will come back in spades. Yeah, definitely. When you talk about it, I just want to touch on something because I think so many people get lost in business and they see it as a chore. They see it as a job. And you mentioned, you said it's 24-7, but it's not a job for you. Is it because you've actually embraced the process? Is that it? No, because, because I, I, I think that you know, if you are going to start a company and you're going to take money from people, you have to give them something back. You know, it's while, and, and, and I think if you want to separate the wheat from the chaff, then the way you do it is you do things that other companies don't do, right? So, so the, the, the reason Seacom is that successful being such a small company and being in so many places around the world is because we, we deliver, uh, you know, we provide a, a quality for the, for the, for the, for the money and, yeah. uh, and, and a quality product that works even after six or seven years, unfortunately, it still works and yeah, it yeah. never breaks. So, <laughs> so, you know, so we designed it a little bit too well, but uh, you know, <laughs> again, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay. Yeah. Customers are getting more than their, their, uh, their, their bank for the buck. And uh, it's, to me, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, it's, this is not work. It's, it's enjoyment. It's, 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 it's something that I like to do. And, and on, unless, I guess, you approach your business in the same way where you give it a hell of a lot more than nine to five, you're not going to be successful, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, how do you instill those, those principles? Like, how do you instill those in your staff? You're obviously good at it because if they're there for that long a period of time, you hire immigrants. Is is that the secret sauce for you? Well, I, I think I think that uh, you know if you look at uh, almost almost everybody, uh, with the few exceptions at Seacom, you know, is is not Canadian. I mean, there are there are some, but uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's I'm I'm just kidding. It's I'm sure yeah, yeah. a lot of. No, but Canadians. no, but there's a lot of value in that. Is it is it because they're hungry? Is that it? Or well, they are dedicated. They are hungry. They are they are probably not from here. They want to make it here. They yeah. have nobody to fall back on. Uh, no parents. No relatives. No rich relatives. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I don't know. I just and I think that also I really enjoy hiring older people. We you know I'd rather have a lot of people who are in their sixties or late 50s than, okay. than somebody who is, who is 25 or 30 because, you know, as you said before, you know, it's the entitled uh, group of people who say, yeah. I want this, I want that, I want this. I remember yeah. once trying to hire a, a university graduate, um, you know, from fresh out of university and the first question he asked me is, what is your pension plan? <laughs> I said, okay, goodbye, thank you. <laughs> I mean, imagine if somebody in their 20s is worried about the pension plan. I mean, come on. <laughs> Forget about that. Pension comes uh, when you work and, uh, yeah. and save money and uh, whatever. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. What, what does, and I, I want to touch on this because, I mean, as I said, you know, I got the email back last night shortly before 10. What does a typical day look like? For, for Leslie from the time you get up time you go to bed well you know I, I, I come I'm in the office probably before eight o'clock most of the time and uh, I go to the gym around one o'clock because I need a break and I've been bodybuilding for 50 years geez that's incredible yeah uh, and so that I you know I don't go for lunches I go to the gym I um, I don't I don't I have breakfast I don't eat lunch so I oh, have you don't eat lunch I don't eat lunch at all well, hang on. So, so when are you eating breakfast? Like at seven? At, at seven thirty in the morning. And then, and then you're not going to eat before you go to I, the gym. Th that's correct. I don't eat for twelve hours. Holy shit, man! So, so you're pumping iron with no. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I pump iron for about sixty minutes nonstop. Well, you're a savage. <laughs> I am. I put my kids. My kids call me a robot. Oh, jeez. And okay, let let can we just touch on the, on the workout for a sec? Like like sure. you say you're going sixty minutes straight. Like, well, I yeah, I I actually lift. I lift weights. I you know heavy weights. 
Are you are you right into free weights or? Yes, yes, free weights, machines, uh, the whole nine yards. You know, I uh, I've been going to the OEC for thirty five years. Now that it's gone, it's very sad because. Yeah, what are you doing now? Well, I go to the Movadi on uh, on uh, you know. Okay. On the, yeah, on um, here in the East End, so it takes me a few minutes to get there, which is great. okay. Okay. And uh, you know, when I come back to the office, uh, I'm like a new man. You know, I I work till about six o'clock in the evening or five okay. thirty six o'clock and then i have dinner and uh then i am done <laughs> but okay i still respond to emails and do everything right so so you have a little bit of a, like i'm assuming a later dinner like seven ish and then sort of shut it down that's right geez that's incredible man like are you going every day to the gym yeah five days a week Geez, that's excellent. That is like, like I know it's it's unfortunate the audience can't see. You should see this guy. He's built like a bull. Like, <laughs> well, you know, I tried to. <laughs> you know, my waistline has not changed in fifty years. So, uh, really, uh, yeah, that's pretty. You know, that's I incredible. Feel, yeah, yeah. The pants, although the shirts are the problem because you run out of shirt sizes because your body, the upper body, becomes <laughs> a little too big. So I have to watch what uh, you know how much I do because I you know I don't want to look like Arnold. Uh, so, so having said that, like, is he, uh, do you have any bodybuilding? Uh, I didn't think we were going to go this, this route with, with the show here, but this is great. D uh, do you have any bodybuilding idols? Uh, Arnold, of course. Arnold. Is it Arnold? Yeah. Yeah. I met him you know, he's about my age. Uh, actually, I think he's a year uh, younger than me. And, you know, he was born in Austria, not very far from where I was born. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I used to, um, I used to go to the gold gym in, uh, in California because I had a company down there okay. when I was, when I, uh, I did Eurodata and I used to go to Arnold's restaurant in Santa Monica. So wow. I, <clears throat> I used to, we used to exchange, uh, you know, conversations about uh, bodybuilding because I was into it yeah. at the same time as he was into it, you know? And so he's, he's definitely somebody. And again, if you want to look at what that guy has accomplished, right? Yeah. Yeah. Strictly sheer willpower, right? Yeah. Just going to the gym and working out and becoming the best you can be and, you know, dedicating himself and committing himself. Obviously, he was doing a lot of, you know, steroids and things like that to, to look like that, which I don't do. I don't, I don't take medications. I don't yeah. take uh, powders. I don't do anything. So, you know, I'm just a natural, natural guy who is, who is pumping there. Probably I'm the only old guy there in the gym who... Who can? Uh, yeah, but you're uh, lifting more than the younger guys. Well, of course, I can for sure, for sure, most <laughs> of the time, no problem. That is awesome. Do you have a special diet too, Leslie? No, just don't eat no. lunch. <laughs> just don't eat. What do you have for breakfast then? Like, are you I, having? I like have a, a I have a breakfast like dinner, a big breakfast. Like okay, so what's your typical breakfast? Whatever was left over for dinner. Oh, you're having that for breakfast? Yes. Wow. Wow, you're you're like a total champ, man. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big breakfast because it has to last me twelve hours. Geez, my son is gonna love this interview. <laughs> Just tell him that tell him that eating is overrated. <laughs> <laughs> what what would you say? This is this has been this has been wonderful, Leslie. What what would you have a favorite book or or a movie? Or um, I, you know, I at night that's how I unwind. You know, we watch a lot of the series uh, that uh, that uh, that on Netflix uh, book. You know, I haven't read a book in a long, long time. I have really no time. By the time I am done at you know seven o'clock, seven thirty in the evening, yeah. all I can do is watch the news and perhaps yeah. watch some. Uh, series so I, I i do have some recommendations that 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 late, lately i've watched that are fantastic one is a, a called a place to call home on net on netflix okay the other, the other one is the what Coons. is that about i've never it's, heard of it's it. about uh, an australian uh, family in the 50s okay uh, it's an australian show it's fantastic it's really fantastic it shows australia in the 50s and okay. the interaction of the upper classes with the lower classes in the 50s, the, the British influence, the, you know, the, the whole process, it, it's fantastic. It's really worth watching. The other one is The Queen's Gambit. It's about the chess master. It's a woman who plays chess, uh, another fantastic series. Okay. Ray Donovan, a U.S. series, very, very entertaining. Yeah. The Crown, the Crown which is still coming on, I think, uh, on Sunday, the series four. Okay. Homeland, Homeland, which is absolutely fantastic. Oh, Homeland. Yeah, I got hooked on that for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And the affair. 
Okay. Yeah. So these are some of the things that, uh, you know, my wife and I watch at night and, um, you know, watch the news and that's it. That's, yeah. So the day is pretty much work. And, and do you, do you, cause you know, I find some people, I'm and I try to tell this to some people that, you know, you can't just work all the time. And I think I, do you say, would you say that's a good break? Just, it's a bit of an escape. It's a bit of, of course, of course, that's a total wind down. I mean, I, after that, you know, there's very little um, energy left and my mind, you know, doesn't function uh, without, without having a little break uh, yeah. you know, from, from the day. So it's a very, very good way to, to, to unwind. And also after going to the gym, you know, spending an hour there, um, yeah. it's, it, 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 the body also gets tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have ho any other hobbies or interests, uh, Leslie? No. Okay. I'm, I'm focused, dedicated, you know, this is, this is, uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have, uh, any other hobbies. I don't play golf. I used to play tennis, but I don't have the energy anymore. If I go five times a week to the gym, I, <laughs> I my body is going to fall apart if I keep pushing it, uh, harder than so, I So, so did you, did you play tennis before? I did. I did. I used to play tennis on Sundays and Saturdays, uh, you know, an hour, hour and a half with a couple of uh, people, singles for many years. And, uh, you know, I just, I just given it up because I guess I don't have anybody to play with number one. And number two, it yeah, I don't have the time. There's no time yeah. left to, to do it. Either I give up the gym or I, you know, whatever, which I, which I will not. I mean, the gym to me is an unbelievable, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, influence on the body and the mind. I, I certainly, recommend to people to to do some sort of an activity because yeah. it made a huge difference when the gyms were closed for the last couple of months or whatever yeah i could, I could feel the difference you know my mind my body yeah so what did you do i i walked i walked um, you know on the i walked uh, 10 kilometers a, a day yeah but that's not not like pump no no and then then i i you know i i tried to um, you know, to to do something, but it's not the same. You have to go to a gym. People who think they can do it at home, they can't. It's, it's yeah. You have to go to the gym, and it's you, very very difficult if you don't have access to it. Do, do you work? At, did you growing up? Did your boys work out with you? Yes. Uh, no, they didn't. They they didn't. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't. My they do it now. They they all all three of them work out now. But no, they did not. They they could okay. not maintain the discipline. It was. Okay. Watch. Did you, I just want to go back to the tennis for one, one quick second. When sure. you were working out and then playing tennis, did you find your flexibility changed? Like, well, tennis is a different, uh, different, uh, muscles, you know, the muscles yeah. that you use in tennis are completely different than the ones you use in a gym, but the, you know, but the conditioning in a gym helped a lot to be able to hit hard on the tennis court and, and run, you know, okay. at, at the same time. But, you know, I was so sore after playing tennis which is surprising because you know you you work out in a gym but the muscles that you use in tennis are completely different than the ones that that you that you use in, in the gym you touch on them but you know when you are running back and forth and uh, and you know the short sprints and all of that that all has a different effect on the muscles yeah yeah what about social media do you, do you are you on social media do you do you follow it do you have a s very little very very little okay very little no okay. Time. What about podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts at all? Or I, I listen to the CBC podcast. Yeah. When I, when I walk and I walk twice a week, Okay. I do about 10 kilometers each time. That's good cardio. And, and I listen to, uh, listen to some podcasts while I do that. Okay. Okay. Well, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, what does the ideal day, day off look like for Leslie? Uh, when I, when, when I have, uh, uh, like a Saturday or a Sunday, I do very little, you know, other than a walk after, yeah. my, after my walk, um, you know, I, I would probably read the papers. I read two or three papers a day okay. and that's it. Very little, you know, it's as little as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I have a place in Florida. So when I go there, I just like to sit at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Do as little as possible. <laughs> That's nice. Well, you need that time to recharge the batteries too. Of course, of course. When, very when people hear the name Leslie Klein, what do, what do you hope they're going to say? I don't have a clue who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. 
<laughs> no, I don't, I don't expect, uh, you know, unless uh, this technology that uh, we are developing will elevate me to the skies, uh, which I doubt, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 not some, it's not a name that, uh, to give you a, a funny story, uh, you know, even before uh, when, when, people, when people ask me who I am, uh, I, I, I would always say that I am Vera Klein's husband. Yeah. Because everybody knew my wife. Okay. Yeah, nobody, nobody knows who I am, but everybody knows my wife. <laughs> so I always introduce myself as uh, Vera Klein's husband, and they say, oh, yeah, we know Vera. Okay, so now you know who I am. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, this was excellent, uh, Leslie. I or, or, or Paul, behind this. every great man, there is a surprised woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> very well said. Yes, very well said. Uh, this this has definitely been excellent. Um, I think maybe uh, maybe we'll we're definitely going to do an update uh, in uh, in in 2021 with you. Sure. Uh, appreciate you sharing uh, your history with the audience and uh, and providing those insights. And uh, and again, thanks very much for your time here, Leslie. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, Paul, and thanks for uh, contacting me. It was a pleasure talking with you. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you, Paul. For those listeners looking for additional information about our guest, Dr. Leslie Klein's company, Seacom Satellite Systems, you can find them online at www.seacomsat.com. That's www.c-comsat.com. You can also find them on social media. They are on Twitter at Seacom Satellite. They are on Instagram at SeacomSat, and they are on Facebook and LinkedIn at Seacom Satellite Systems. Seacom Satellite is also traded on the TSX Venture under the symbol CMI. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Ottawa Business Podcast. We truly hope you found something of value in the show that you can use in your business or personal life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the show. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite player. Thank you.